yeah, I don't need to know how to run a crew. I need to know how to run a business. That they're, they're different skill sets. Welcome to Ambition Theory, Women in Construction. This show asks questions that everybody is thinking about, but doesn't want to say out loud. It's about tackling complex topics like why are there so few women in senior leadership positions? What is it going to take to change this? Each episode is a combination of motivation and tactical strategies to get ahead. We get out of our comfort zones and we take action. We learn, grow, and create opportunities. I am your host, Andrea Jansen, a certified executive coach with an MBA, and since 2018, I've coached over a thousand construction professionals to level up their leadership. Let's get started. Lisa is the president of Powell Contracting and on the board of the Canadian Association of Women in Construction. The interesting thing about Lisa is that she's only been in the construction industry for six years. And during this time, Powell Contracting's revenue has grown from 75 million to 200 million. In this episode, we're unpacking how a transformational leadership approach can deliver exponential growth. We're talking about why relying on technical skills alone isn't gonna get you ahead, how companies can leverage talent from other industries to drive growth, and how Lisa learned the hard way that being authentic to yourself is the only way to be a successful leader. I learned so much from this interview and I hope you do too. Hi, Lisa. Thank you so much for joining us today on Ambition Theory Women in Construction. I am overjoyed to have you here. Thanks, Andrea. I'm really excited to be here. Okay, so you are the president of Powell Contracting. And the interesting thing about you, which is I was attracted to you, why I found you on LinkedIn and first asked you to speak at a workshop and now asked you to come back um, and do a podcast interview was because you are the president of a contracting company, but you didn't start out in construction and you do not have an engineering background. And I don't meet a lot of people like you. And I was so curious as to how this manifested, how this happened and how you're using your skills um, that aren't typical in the construction industry to really lead a company, to grow a company and do some pretty incredible things. So I want to take you back to take us back to when you got into the industry. So I'm really curious about what motivated you to join the construction industry. Sure. Um, I, I would like a really great uh, answer to this question. I do get asked it a lot. And uh, sometimes I start when I introduce myself um, and what I do. And I start with, um, I identify as female. I'm a, I'm a, a professional accountant. Um, and my name is not on the building. And how did I actually get here? And it's interesting, this journey, I started in accounting and I didn't actually pick the construction industry, I picked the company. So I've worked with entrepreneurial companies my whole career. I really like that. For the position, loved the ownership group, thought it was awesome and, um, and was um, shocked when I got into the construction industry and just how um, archaic it was and how um, old school it was. But one of the things that um, has attracted me at this point in time that I love this industry, but I love more that we're actually going to be part of a change. And I feel like women are starting to take a, a lead, their voices are being heard. And I think this is the best time to be involved in the construction industry. So I'm thrilled that I actually got the opportunity to participate in the industry. Um, and I'm looking forward to years to be able to make a difference and 
lead the way for other women to get it, not only in positions of power, because th things that we're looking at in the industry is women that are in the skilled trades, as well as women that are in the leadership in leadership or executive roles. And what I found was, I think two years ago, or maybe three years ago, we did our picture for women in construction. And when I looked at all the women, and we, ha we have a lot, so I think we have a, a big representation of women in the industry. When I looked at it, they were I'm going to say 98% were all actually in administrative or HR roles. And that's when I started to actually look at really why, why is that? Why are, we, why, are, uh, why are we attracted to those kinds of roles? And since this journey and probably the last three years that I've really been on it um, and I've learned a lot and I've done a lot of um, just researching. It's interesting that if you actually go back that we are, we're taught to be women in, in non-traditional or non-traditional roles, if that's what you want to consider them. So you learn from a very early age of how you're supposed to act and what you're supposed to wear and what you're supposed to say. And then that doesn't lead to leadership roles or skilled trades because that's expected, you're expected to act a certain way. I just finished a diversity and inclusion, some training, and it's interesting, the number one um, employment for transgender men is construction. And the number one employment for transgender women is the sex trade. Hmm. So that it, you, now you're even saying at this point that you're, it's an, whether that's typical or not, but it's, you know, men are suited for construction and women are suited for this, you know, beautification or sex or, or, or whatever it is, however you want to quantify that. So I find that that's interesting. So what are we going to do to be able to change that and, and, and make a difference? And I think now in construction, this is the time to be part of that change. Probably didn't answer your question, Andrea. <laughs> That's okay. This is really, really interesting. So I'm still curious because you said something that kind of hit a hot button for me is you said a lot of women in construction are in HR, admin, yeah. but finance also typically falls under that admin role. Really, most yeah. companies are like they have a finance and admin department and you started in that department. So I, we don't see a lot of women shifting from that stream into really like the operations side and you're leading a general contracting company. So you were able to make that shift. How did that happen? Cause I know it happened pretty quickly for you. It did. So I actually started as controller and uh, went to VP finance and administration. So what I learned really early on was um, and particularly the ownership group, which I, they're, they're very supportive and, and obviously have put me in this position. So, so I went from controller to VP finance and admin. I quickly went to the EVP and then I went from there to president. But what happened to me was when I was the vice president of accounting and administration. And the reason that I got that title was to um, try to incorporate all of the administration to take me out of a, a little bit more out of the finance role. But I learned really quickly, like in, in order to make any change within operations, I had to have an operational role. It's interesting you didn't have the um, respect. And maybe I'll take, take a step back. As the VP of finance, I had a ton of respect, had an awesome team. The ownership group loved my some of my ideas and my visions and my strategies. We were putting all these things together. People that I worked with in operations had exactly the same thing, loved my ideas. We were moving really, really quickly, moving, moving uh, fast, getting into new businesses, divesting of other businesses. And all of a sudden I get named EVP and it was shocking. And I remember sitting down with one of the owners saying, I'm, I'm so outside of my comfort zone. I'm, I'm, I'm smart. I have good ideas. I get along very well with people. I can read the room. I'm pretty confident when I walk into a room. This is just taking me completely off my game. People that I thought um, had my back that 
um, liked my ideas were now all of a sudden congregating together to, to try to take me out, out of my position. It was, it was the most bizarre thing I'd ever been in. So I've been in finance my whole career, but always an entrepreneurial company. So you always work uh, quite closely with operations. You kind of have a, a, a GM when, when you're in these smaller organizations, you kind of have a GM role. So I hadn't been used to this, this true segregation between accounting and operations. And when I moved into the operations, nobody was listening to my ideas. All of a sudden, all these great ideas that I had were now stupid and people didn't want to follow them. And, and it was this just, it was creating chaos to the point that I had no idea how to handle myself anymore. And it was interesting. It was the first time my confidence was really shaken. And I started to um, just have some, you know, candid conversations, you know, why is this happening? And one of the owners had said to me, you know, Lisa, you weren't a threat in accounting. So now you're a threat and now you're a true competitor. And now that's how they're looking at you. So if you want to fight this fight, you have to fight the fight. So figure it out. And I tried everything. I tried to be the nice person, the funny person. I tried, to, I was way outside of my comfort zone. And I finally said, um, I won't swear. So I finally said, I can't even think of a word in, in, in replace of a swear word there. I'm gonna, I said, forget it. I'm going to be myself. If I'm going to get myself in trouble, it's going to be for stuff that I believe in. I'm going to, I'm going to talk the way that I normally talk and I, and I'm not going to care what other people say or think about me. And that was a, a, a real big, um, confidence booster for me. So I started to go into meetings. I didn't care. People were talking, you know, about me. They were, I would, I would go to meetings um, and people would say, so what do you do? And I'm the president of Powell Contracting. Uh, what does Powell do? Long, long-term customers. And, and I, I would go through exactly what we do and they go, well, and, 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 and your president and how did you get there? And, 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 and what do you do? It just, the same questions over and over again. And I was like, I, I don't understand this. When I was EVP, I had the same role, um, did the same job function. I was just na named as president. So I'm, I'm doing exactly the same thing. We had lunch six months ago. We had exactly the same conversation. It was just an interesting um, dynamic for me. The other part that happened to me was we, when I became the EVP, we brought in a GM. And one of the reasons, which um, in retrospect made a ton of sense. So he had industry experience. Um, obviously, I didn't. He had, again, it's, it's construction. It's still the old boys network. He had all the contacts. So we thought we'd make a really good team. I came with the business acumen, the leadership, um, the vision, the strategy. He came with all the experience and the contacts and, and basically the credibility. So we thought together we would make this phenomenal team. But what started to happen really quickly that I started to notice was we would go to meetings and everybody would talk to him. So what are we doing? Who's making the deal? It, it was all directed. And I, and I was like the, um, the guest or the person that was uh, um, taking minutes or it was, it, was, it was a bizarre transition for me. And then that continued on. And that was in the very early part when I was unsure of how to handle myself or what to do or, or how to respond. I didn't want to come, or come across... Um, that, that, you know, I'm the boss, everybody has to listen to me because I was trying to find my way in the industry. So I was trying to gain respect and credibility and trying to figure out how to do that all while letting people know that I was the boss. Um, then what happened was I started to reach out or to look, and this is how I actually joined KWIC, the Canadian Women in Construction. I started to look for organizations and, and talk to other colleagues of mine that are in senior leadership positions and say, how do you network? Like, how do I get people to... Um, understand my position or take me seriously because I was starting to feel like 
people thought that I was given this role or I wanted to get a button actually that said, yes, I'm that good. Cause that's what I, it was just a bizarre thing that people were like looking at me like, like, who do you know? Or how did you pay them? Or like, are you sleeping with people? It was just, it, it was so foreign to me that people did not think that I was smart enough to hold the position. I got a lot, you know, you're not from the industry. And um, I think I said the last time when I was with you, I said, yeah, I don't need to know how to run a crew. I need to know how to run a business. That they're, they're different skill sets. I have to understand what it's like to work. We're in road construction. So I have to understand what it's like and what were um, the risks that people are taking and to be safe. And I've been to job sites, but you know, I've never pounded a post in or, or you know, placed any wall. Um, but I don't think that that, has an, uh, that, in, that gives you any better skill set to be able to run a business. That's really interesting. So I learned a new term today. I was on a call earlier with this woman, Kelly. She works at Freshco and she oh. told me this term FBI construction is run by fathers, brothers, and in-laws. And when you're telling me this story, I'm literally like, Lisa wasn't a part of the FBI. So that was yeah. really like that piece that was missing and kind of like a more academic term would be like the social capital, right? Like this general manager had all the contacts, had the relationships because construction's all about who you know. And even yeah. though you had the title, right? Like I am the boss, um, it still wasn't enough. So no. I'm curious, like, I know you, you had to go through this journey, this growth, like figuring it out. What was the thing that kind of made that shift and allowed you to kind of like step in and become the leader that you are today and be able to kind of gain that influence and build those relationships? I think that the, um, the ownership group is very, very supportive and believes in me. So I think I had that uh, confidence in behind me that I knew as I was implementing change, um, changing strategy that I had their backing behind me. So, so that allowed me to move forward. The other, I think, Thing that was a big catalyst is the GMVP was transferred to another division. So he's president of another division and, and that allowed me to build my team. So now I had um, basically a year under my belt of understanding the, the road work and, and what I was in store for. So now I was going to build my team that had my back, that, that liked my leadership style um, that I could trust. And that's what I did. So, and, and, and when you empower people, and this is what I saw was, um, within two to three months, it was very, very quick. The, the, when you empower people to make decisions and you believe in them and you support them and you give them the resources and the tools that they need to succeed, it's amazing what happens. And to watch this team flourish and take responsibility and grow a, a point of sale that was at two to three million to eight million in a year, to watch the, um, the construction manager build this team and in the very beginning say to me no no i think i can do all the jobs and i was saying no you, you know i need you i need you in this capacity you need to you know build your team what happens is i feel people's egos get in the way and they don't want to let go of things rather than um saying no allow people to make their decisions allow them to grow you know what will happen is if you do that you're going to grow you're going to have more responsibility you're going to see where 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 it takes you um, don't don't settle for this. This is what I know, and I'm really good at it, and I'm just going to keep everything um, in this nice, tight little box. And so I watched this team flourish and, and grow. And when we would go, because recently we were going to um, social functions, going out and having them say, have you met our president, Lisa? 
that, that, that those are first words out of their mouth or um, yes, that's our president, Lisa, or yeah, I report to, you know, Lisa, she's our president. Um, that has a whole trans transformation when you're out in a social setting now with other, um, you know, colleagues or customers because they don't have this, um, you know, and I would be introducing myself anyway, but it was just now you have this backing or this team that, that's in behind you that's supporting of you. The other thing that, so that was transformational for me. The other thing is I started to reach out to people to say, how do I gain this credibility or my social capital in the industry? And I have some really funny stories of, of, uh, of, of not being successful. Um, so one thing I say to people, just do not be afraid of, of rejection or failing because um, for every person out there that says, no, there's, you know, three to five people that are going to say yes, or that might be vice versa. And it may just be one person that you connect with. And I think you and I chatted about Mandy from Freshco. And uh, as I started to do my research to say, okay, what are people in the industry? Who do I want to connect with? She just happened to be one that I really liked her story and uh, felt like we had, would have something in, in common. And I actually just, you know, randomly said, you know, would you like to connect? And uh, it would, took probably about three to four weeks and she actually connected with me. And interesting enough, we did work for her. Um, and I you know, reached out and said, hey, I understand you know, through the COVID, they're the property managers for the Home Depots. Um, you know, we're doing some work for you. Please let me know if there's anything that we can do. And she, she said, oh, I've talked to my project manager. She guys are doing a great job. And, and now, now think of that. It, that was for me putting myself out there, trying to connect with someone. She could have just said no, but look at how that little bit of networking has actually, um, you know, actually turned itself into dollars for our company. So the other person- I, I want to pause on that because this yeah. is like that networking piece. It wasn't actually a lot of time for you or Mandy in this situation. And it created a pretty big opportunity, right? Like your company's getting work. You're like, she has a direct line to you, the president of the company, which is really valuable, right? Yes. In the grand scheme of things. And really the effort that it took for you to reach out was probably just in your head, right? Getting over yep. that fear of like, what if she doesn't write back? What if she's not interested? And then for yep. her, it's that realization, like, yeah, I will just connect with you on LinkedIn so that if needed, we have this channel. And yep. it's probably like a couple minutes out of Mandy's yep. day to do that. But kind of what bubbles out of that becomes so much bigger. Because I think a lot of people think the networking takes a lot of time and there's a big time commitment there. But the way that you're telling how it's helping you, it's not that big time commitment. It's that authenticity. It's that just opening the door and starting that conversation and it being yeah. two ways. So I love that you're sharing that. Yeah, absolutely. And I did, I, when I started down this path, that was one of the things I, I looked at my LinkedIn profile and then you try to be relevant and, you know, you know, you're trying to follow some of the rules that say, you know, don't just reshare, put a post in, put something that you think. And then you're like, oh my, it's just overwhelming sometimes, you know, here's, here's what I think. Does it sound good? I'm doing the right hashtags. It was just for me overwhelming. And then I started to, again, I just went back to myself. So what, what do, what am I looking for in people? I just, I would like to connect with people and I'm trying really hard to connect with people, maybe not necessarily um, that can do something for me, but maybe that I can do something for them. So I try to connect with our co-op students um, and I tell them all the time, that's the first thing you should do is, you know, try to connect with all, I think, you know, when my kids were young, I said the same thing. If you have an opportunity to connect with, you know, a VP, a president, by all means do it. They're, they will probably say yes. And then that goes on your prof profile. You get to see their connections. And it, it's crazy how quickly things can, can multiply just by doing that one, one connection. The other person I reached out to was Jenny Coco. And, uh, and this was, this is one of my funny stories. So I started to ask 
people that oh, I just can you my... talk about who Jenny Coco is and about the oh, business sorry. that she runs just For so sure. that people know who know who we're talking about. For sure. She's the uh, CEO of Coco Paving. Um, and they've actually just been recently sold to GFL for, I believe it's $8 billion. So um, they're in across Canada and the US. And they've had some, um, you know, not good news stories recently. Um, but but still the extraordinarily successful um, construction companies. So they are GC. Um, so anyway, so the company's run by herself and um, her brother, Rocky. And Rocky's well-known. Again, I wrote, I we're road construction, so well-known um, in our industry. And she has a reputation as from being a bitch. And that's just, you know, what people talk about. Uh, not that it's true. So I tried to reach out to her and I was just trying to figure out how do you do that? Obviously, she's not on any social media at all. And um, everybody in, that I knew, knew Rocky. And so I'm like, well, that's going to be silly that I'm going to connect with Rocky to find a sister. I just didn't feel like that was the right way to go about it. Ended up talking to um, our business development uh, person who actually knew a project manager there who connected with the project manager who connected me with her EA. And I reached out to her EA. I explained, um, I had just been EVP, been named EVP. I said, you know, I've just been named EVP of Powell Contracting. We actually work with them. Um, you know, I, I'm very interested if I could have an opportunity to meet with Jenny. I'm, you know, I'd like some advice in terms of the industry as a woman in a late senior leadership role. And Jenny reached out to me right away. I got her cell phone number connected. It was the beginning of COVID. So we were trying to meet for lunch and we didn't. Um, we had, it was the early days of technology. So we tried to have a Teams call that ended up just to be a phone call. But I, but, but she was truly inspiring on the phone. But one of the things that she said to me that really lit a fire in me, and it was, uh, she gave me some really good advice. So one, the first piece of advice she gave to me was, and I was explaining to her that I have this GM that he seems to be getting, everybody's looking towards him for the decision-making. I can see how quickly that he's elevating his social capital and I'm falling down and I don't know how to pick it back up again. So she said, go to meetings on your own. And th at this point it was much more difficult because of COVID. Um, but if you can go to the meetings on your own. And, and I, was, I was hesitant to do that in the beginning because I didn't feel like I had the experience to be able to hold an intelligent conversation. And, and, and if you remind me, I'll come back to that point. And then, so she said, or if you have to go with him, then what you should do is always make sure that they know that you're the boss. And it can be something simple as saying, we can do that as long as I approve the PO, make sure the PO you know, has my signature or um, you know, if, you, if you want a discount, it has to come from me. I'm the only one who can do a discount. So people know that you're, you're where the buck stops. So I said, okay, I'll, I'll take that. I thought that was some great pieces of advice. And then she said, um, you know, at least you have to work harder, uh, longer, uh, put up with more bullshit than anybody else needs to do that. And I, and I kind of sat back and I was like, well, but, but why? And she said, you have to, you know, I you basically I understood through, and I'm going to paraphrase, she blazed her own trail. I need to blaze my own trail. You can't really follow in anybody else's footsteps. So you have to work hard, harder, longer, and then you'll, you'll be, you'll be successful. But she was very bitter about that. So I thought, you know what, that's really silly. Why do we need to do that? Why can't we work together, you know, as women in construction, in leadership across the board? And if we blaze the trails, like blaze it together, we have, we have this huge voice that we can move forward. We can learn from one another. We don't have to make the same mistakes. And then I think we gain some credibility because now we've, we've proven it time and time and time and time again. And it now no longer becomes a question. It's just who's the right person for the job. So she actually started me on this path of going, there's no way we're going to blaze. We're all individually blazing these trails. I got to find an association that's about women in construction and we're going to move forward. So, um, and that actually, that's how I found Kavik. But um, to go back, so my, 
point was, sorry, what did I say about the, yeah, um, you said actually you didn't really have the confidence in your technical skills and the ability to, um, really yes. carry that conversation. And it's interesting that you bring this up because I'm reading a book right now called how women rise. And I haven't read this chapter yet, but the chapter is like the habits that you need to let go of. And one of them is relying on expertise as a superpower because the reality yes. is it isn't. So I want you to yes. share your experience about that. Yes. So what I learned through all of that, yes, you do not have to be an expert. You have to have a little bit of knowledge about everything. And so you just need to speak a little bit and then truly just listen to what people say. And as long as you have some level of knowledge, I mean, you can't go in and completely not knowing anything, but it's easy to hold conversations and ask questions and you learn quickly and then you start to adapt. And then, or if you're uncomfortable with where the conversation is going, it's very easy to move it into another direction, into a subject that you're comfortable with. And I was so surprised at how easy that happened that people actually say to me, wow, you, I, I just can't believe how smart you are, how, how much you know about that, because you don't have to know everything. You also have to be, I think, confident enough to say, well, I didn't know that. That's very interesting. How does that happen? How does that work? And then, you know, you engage people to be able to tell you and to teach you. Um, but, but that was a very, um, a, a very good lesson that I learned really, really early on, which I think was a saving thing in terms of being in social settings with people that you feel are, are, are tied to the industry and have years and years and years of experience in the industry. But now you hear the same stories over and over and over again. And I can actually probably tell some of them that you think so that I was the, there. Is the skill that you really learned to get over that, like to really build your confidence was just listening and just realizing yeah. that, you know what, maybe that's my superpower. I don't have the technical expertise, but, but I could listen. And that it sounds like actually gave you the knowledge and then people thought you were smarter just because yes. you were listening. That's really, yes. that's a really powerful skill set to remember because. Yes. And it's every- just the general knowledge. You just need, it's, it's kind of the same thing with sports. As long as you know, everybody thinks I'm this avid sportsman, which I actually am, but you know, I, we, I love to watch football. So I, but I have a select few um, teams that I like to watch and, but, but I, I generally watch football in general. Hockey is the same thing. I actually watch golf. I play golf. So when I'm talking to people, I know, I just know certain things that are going on. I was like, oh, oh, you must really watch football. That's quite interesting. And you know, it's not like you have to watch every weekend or know everybody's stats or be that expert. You just have to know a few things of what's going on. Um, that's what's in the news. You know, who are the top quarterbacks? Who's up and coming? You know, who's leaving? That kind of stuff. And, and it changes everybody's tone really quickly. And then you can carry on with the conversation with that, just that general level of knowledge. Have you ever experienced imposter syndrome? It's that feeling that you don't deserve to be there and you don't know what you're doing. At any moment, people will reveal that you're a fraud and that you don't belong. Until recently, imposter syndrome was considered an internal problem, something that's in your head and it was up to you, the individual, to solve this problem. I wanna tell you today that this assumption is wrong. There is new research that explains why imposter syndrome is a systemic issue and not an individual problem. We've created a free report exploring the evidence and providing strategies companies can use to address this. Here's the truth. If you're a woman in construction, imposter syndrome is not all in your head. Get the report at ambitiontheory.ca forward slash imposter. And now back to our show. 
So everything you're talking about today, Lisa, it reminds me of this leadership model that we talk about at Ambition Theory, like the transactional side, which is that traditional like top down approach to leadership. Um, and then the other side is the transformational side, which is um, the side where you're inspiring people, holding them accountable, motivating them internally, giving them that authority to make decisions themselves instead of always telling them what to do. And from what you're saying, it, I think you're way on this side of the spectrum, like you're really leaning into those transformational skills. Can you tell me how you've noticed that these skills have helped grow the company? Because I know the company has grown significantly since you stepped in. And I want to mm -hmm. understand from your perspective, what caused that growth to happen? So it's interesting. I think before, um, I, I, I don't actually think I would knew the difference between the transactional or the transformational leadership until you and I started chatting. Um, and I didn't think of my style. I've had two things that have happened to me. I was intrigued by manipulation. So how can, how do people and, and it was, it started with this Jeffrey Epstein and R. Kelly's, they manipulated people and, and women and young girls to think that they weren't doing anything wrong. And so I was intrigued with how do, how do, how do people do that? Like what, how does, what happens that you can hold that much power over people um, to, to make them to do things that you don't want to do. And then I was starting to think, why don't we do that for our good? Like, why don't we do good things? So I'm having conversations with lots of people, just getting their feel for, you know, what's going on. And one of the, one of my work colleagues said, well, that's leadership. <laughs> then I started to laugh and like, truly that's what a transformational leader really is, is somebody that allows you to do the things that you, to do, to do the, the good things, to allow you to make decisions that are in the best interest, not only in the corporation, but in terms of your core values. And I feel like if your core values are aligned with the organization, then those decisions are very easily made because everything lines up for you. And where I feel like we have the disconnect or the misalignment is when um, your core values aren't aligned with the uh, organization's core values. And we've gone through this, this radical change. So we've come from a, um, an owner, uh, managed and led organization into somewhat of a structure. So now, um, obviously, the, I'm president of the Road Safety Division. I have multiple companies underneath me now, growing from I think we were at you know 75 million uh, based in Ontario to now we're over 200 million and 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 we're in North America now. So now I have president. And that was six me. years, right, Lisa? Yeah. From 75 million. Yeah, it's crazy. The the growth has been in six years. Yes, we expanded out west. That was the first, my first introduction, which is actually before I became EVP. We expanded out west. And I remember saying to the ownership group, like, who, who's managing this and how is this being controlled? Because they were always this entrepreneurial company that said, okay, we well, want to start a business, go, let's go. You just run it and start it because that's their mindset. This is how they were very, very successful. They grew this family run business, their second generation. Sometimes those generations don't succeed. They worked in the business, grew it to, to the level that it was when I got, got on board but didn't have the ability to empower your senior leadership team to be able to take charge. So, so they managed, I'm gonna say transactionally. So this is what we do, this is how we're gonna do it and, and had control. So as you get bigger, that becomes a little bit more difficult and you have to allow people to make decisions, to make mistakes. You should be giving them the resources and the tools so that they don't make them. But if they do make them, at least um, have a conversation about it. What, you know, what can we do differently? How can we change things? So we expanded out west. I said, okay, who's managing it out there? Because we call them 
like they were just like rogue. People were out there running these businesses and there was like zero accountability. And then when you tried to bring accountability, I likened it to, we're saying it's like you have young children and their bedtime's eight o'clock and then you lay them, you know, Friday comes and they stay up till nine and then, then it's 9.30 and then next week is 10 and 11 and now it's midnight. Are you all, all saying, well, what the heck happened? Are your bedtime's eight o'clock? It's like midnight. And I felt like that's what was happening out West was it just let it, let it go and you tried to let people make their own decisions, but you didn't give them the tools or the resources to be able to do that because you had managed with this is how you do everything when you allow them to make their own decisions they didn't have the tools and the resources to be able to do that so then then he started to say to me okay well what would you do in these situations and anyway I wasn't instrumental in that but we did we did end up solving some of those problems at west and then as we started to acquire new businesses um, we started to put a little bit more process in place and we started to look at our own in Palo contracting so I have the five main businesses in Ontario um, we started to look at those businesses and I said, okay, well, what are we going to do? How do we get this team to be able to make their decisions that are aligned with the direction that we want to go? And then that's when we sat back down and said, okay, what is our vision of where we want to go and what are our goals and what are our objectives? And then relay those to now my senior leadership team and have them align their, their team's goals and objectives to, to those. We also looked at different ways to be able to empower people to make decisions that may not have necessarily been within our vision and our goals. And then what were we going to do with that? So when opportunities arise, how are they going to be able to deal with that? And, and so, and that came mostly with our material supply division in that um, we would have distribution agreements. And so we kind of changed the way that we were doing things and, and we had to make decisions really quickly. So I, I have a, a vice president and, and him and I would have some conversations. He knew exactly where I was, knew exactly that I, he could call me at any point in time, but he was also empowered to make decisions. You understand the direction that we wanna go. You understand the implications that it's gonna have with the organization. So make those decisions and then let's just have a conversation to make sure that we're, we're in a line. And once you start that, you start to see people grow and then you they start to look at their division or their area of, of, of responsibility as truly their own and that any decisions that they make have, will have an impact. And, and that's how I started to see this team going. When it's incredible when you empower people, um, what they will do and, and the, um, the, the ideas that they come up with, or that, you know, have you thought about this? I think if we do this, this will make it better. Have we thought about entering this market? Because I'm starting to see that, you know, uh, we're, we have a little bit lower margin in, in this area, but I'm seeing, you know, this looks like it's making us more money, where, which we would never have had any of those conversations before it would have always come. This is the market that we're going to go into. Here's where we're going to price it. Um, this is how we're going to deliver. So now it's all changed to, okay, or, or even now we have an R&D team. What are some of the issues that we're facing that you think if we solve them, that we could actually turn that to um, have a, a return on investment? That was huge. We put a um, little task force together to be able to say, okay, what problems are you having from a installation on the field? So we had people from on the field, people in the warehouse that had to actually um, stock the items. We had people um, that had to purchase it. What were you looking at from, from buying to transport it to people that had to actually um, make the decision with the other distributors that we were, we were looking at. And you put these everybody together in a room and it's crazy how, and I think it, you need some context because you have to allow it as a safe zone that people can have ideas. I mean, obviously it's not, you're just not gonna throw these people in, but it was amazing to me, the ideas that started to flow and, and 
and how people were accepting it. Oh, I didn't think of that. Oh, it's really, do you have problems with that? You know what? Now we have little spin-offs. Oh, I didn't realize that it takes three people to move this piece of barrier. You know what we could do? We could set it up differently in the yard so that you could, you know, pull in with a, with a forklift. Just some of these little, little, uh, little suggestions made huge improvements, made people go there. They feel like they were being valued. Their ideas are being valued, their issues are being valued, and that we were actually coming to some solutions. So it was truly transformational to see a team step up to the plate so quickly um, and, and, and really take responsibility for um, all of their actions, which was completely different for us. If you are an HR professional or a construction leader, and you're curious about how you can better engage and support your female staff, we have some exciting news to share with you. Ambition Theory has developed industry-specific leadership training programs for women in line with the Canadian Construction Association's Gold Seal Certification Program. The goal of these programs is to help companies develop leaders from the talent that already exists internally. There is a war for talent in the construction industry, and engagement and retention are among the best ways to address this. If you want to learn how Ambition Theory can help you improve employee engagement and retention, go to ambitiontheory.ca and book a call with us. And now back to our conversation. So one thing I keep hearing from you is this value that um, you've been able to deliver to Powell through like your business expertise and your leadership skills. And that it sounds like that's in need right now in the industry. So yeah. how do you think people who are listening are like, I'm, I would love to work in the construction industry. How do I get in? I'm in the middle of my career. I don't have an engineering degree and I have not worked in the industry. What's a way for people to get in? Um, and I, th- I, so you're talking from the business or from the skilled trades? From the business side of things. So someone who's working in another kind of like working in a different type of industry that really has that business acumen that has those leadership skills, how could they kind of insert themselves into the industry because they can deliver a lot of value, but I think there's this, this mental block in recruiters minds and in like existing leadership's minds that you need to have that technical area of expertise in order to work in this industry. So how can people overcome that? Yeah, and I think I'm partially biased, obviously, because I do think that with financing, you, you get a, a, a much better um, understanding of how things work from, from the beginning to end. So it allows you to get in and then your personality is going to drive you into the operational side of it. But the other side, um, I really feel any uh, level of, of business degree. It's interesting, our manager of people and culture, so she started actually in accounting, surprisingly enough, in accounts payable, I believe, and she's probably been with us seven or eight years. And she has an English degree and she came to me um, probably six months ago and presented this plan for, and I've been asking for this, this particular person for probably two years. Cause what I felt like our organization was missing was somebody that was speaking for the people. And I know my HR department will, you know, um, you know, poke me in the eye, but HR is really more of a compliance. And they, they, in my, and again, this is my view that HR is here to protect the interests of the organization and myself to keep us out of trouble, not necessarily, and they are for the people, but I wanted somebody that had the voice of people. What are people looking at? We, we, in order for us to be successful, we need to look at this, the new generation that's coming up. 
what, what are their wants? What do they need? Sustainability is a big thing for people. It's not all money anymore. Everybody gets to a certain level of, of, of salary that they're comfortable with. And then it becomes other things. What are you doing for the community? What volunteer things can I do? Um, you know, do I have a wellness benefit? What, you know, do you have flex time? It becomes a little bit more than just monetary. So I wanted someone to say, what are important to people now? Because we do get somewhat out of touch as we're moving through with diversity and inclusion. What does that actually mean to us? How do we become better people and 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 how how do we how do we teach one another? So so we were starting to look at how do how do we deliver messages so that it reaches um, all kinds of people. One of the things that I that I've, I've done a little bit of research is, um, and I believe it was the the Netflix rules the Netflix rules no rules book that talked about you know he's giving a speech and he's really excited and he's up there and there's people from all over different countries and he says. Uh, Okay, if, I'd like everybody to participate. And if you have a suggestion, raise your hand. Anyway, this, this, whole, this whole session goes on. And at the end, he's got like 15, 20 minutes. He walks around to each table. And, and one of the things he talks about is this candor. He wants people to be honest, to give some feedback so that you know where you're standing. So this lady stands up and says, listen, you know, I, I'm just gonna be honest with you. You asked to raise your hand, but you have different countries here where raising your hands, is, it, that's not culturally acceptable. So you're, you're not getting people's opinions because that's not the way that they're gonna be able to express their opinion. And in the book, he's like, oh, you wait till the very end of my presentation to point that out. And But he has five minutes and then he says, okay, from each country, I wanna hear from each country. I'd like to hear one recommendation or suggestion from each country. So he actually saves the, you know, his, his presentation. But I said, you know, we don't know what we don't know. And so, we don't know the questions to be able to ask or are we actually reaching people or do are we up to our fullest potential we don't know any of that because we're we're still moving along with our with our vision and our mission and our strategy and maybe we're forgetting that everybody in behind you know needs different motivators to be able to get where, to, to get where we are i know that was a long way around so to be able to get into construction we are now starting to change. Is we don't need necessarily. We you need obviously some engineers. You need some people that that come through the construction management side of it. But we're looking at now just young people who are enthusiastic, who who just want to learn, and that that's going to carry us more. We have different um, things to be able to do within. You you may not be a project coordinator, but now what we're doing in our organization is. We're looking at maybe we'll rotate people around. You can start an account, and you want to be when well, you want to be in project uh, project coordinator. We'll start to train you to be able to give you some of the skill sets that you need to be able to be technically strong to be in that role. And then you can try that role for a period of time because maybe you'll really like it and maybe you'll grow. Or if you're in a project manager, that you're not necessarily managing a project, but you're managing people. That takes also a different skill set. So now what we're trying to do is take a look at the organization as, as a whole and look at your skill set. So to, to be able to get in now, for me, it is your personality. It's not necessarily your um, your technical experience. And I know that sometimes that's difficult because you have to get through the screening process, and they're going to have their keywords. Um, but that's why LinkedIn's a great opportunity network. Um, as soon as people meet you, um, I have um, a young uh, gentleman who's uh, in law school and he's reached out to me, said, you know, if you have, uh, he's gonna do a co-op if you have any, any legal. And I said, he, so this is what he, now he has me thinking. I was like, oh, you know, we have some, uh, now it wouldn't be big law stuff, but he's a student. So we do have, you know, we have liens that we look at. We have, um, you know, lawsuits that we, we have all the documentation. We have insurance with all that documentation that needs to be read and vetted, vetted and understand our risk. We have bonding. So I'm like, you know what? We could offer a co-op. So now he's got me starting to think maybe we could actually offer a legal co-op. 
I love that. And it, that's the interesting thing that you said about like a lot of the times jobs are like in through the back door, right? Like yeah. I think for people who don't have that tech, you know, you don't check all the boxes on the job description. It's like, go to the back door, find the person yeah. on LinkedIn. And I love how you said, show your personality, right? Ask yeah. the questions. Like this law student is really like, it's, it's leveling up your thinking and you yes. think, oh, like, what is the student going to teach me, Lisa, yeah. who's grown the company from 70? million to 200 million, you would think a student's not going to teach you anything, but the reality is they are, they're getting you to think about things in a different way. And that's really the value that diversity brings, right? So looking at people with different educational experiences, it's not just how you look, it's really that whole experience. So I love that you said that. And I have one more question and it's really about KWIC. So the Canadian Association of Women in Construction, you talked a bit about them. You keep mentioning them. So I just want to t- want to know, like, how did you get involved with them? And I know you're on the board and what yeah. are you working towards with KWIC? So it's interesting because I, as I was doing my research and I had actually looked at KWIC. Um, so I, I joined in August. I'd looked uh, a year before and I didn't really, I didn't really get a good uh, vibe that they were doing a lot for the industry. And I really wanted somewhere that was going to give women this voice. That's really what I was looking for. And uh, I was also not impressed with their logo, which we are changing by the way. So, um, and, but um, what happened was when I started to look at it and I'm, I joined as a corporate member and then they connected with me and it's a very nice young group of, of uh, females and they're all enthusiastic and all have this um, passion to be able to give women this voice in construction, in, in all of it, in both the skilled trades, as well as leadership, as well as admin and, and, and other functions. So I, I liked that diversity. Um, and their goal was to form, it's, it's called the Canadian Women in Construction. It's a spinoff from the National Women in Construction, which is based out of Texas, I believe, that they also have a global affiliation. So that also intrigued me that maybe we can have a global out- outreach. So I'm actually the director of chapters. So we're trying to grow this across Canada. Um, I've just reached out to Saskatchewan. I'm actually in a couple of weeks, they have um, a working group with industry, government um, and education to actually look at the problem that we have with our skilled labor shortage. And it's interesting that their take is, we we obviously can't do anything about it now, but how do we not repeat the same thing? So what do we do to be able to, um, you know, stop this in the future? Because we'll always need the trades that's just phenomenal to me, which is based on Saskatchewan, which I think is very cool. Um, I'm, I'm talking to somebody now in Edmonton and Calgary to get chapters set up there as well as BC. So it's to get this national voice, which is really what I think that we need. It was interesting. I think you posted on LinkedIn commenting that in the U.S. it's 9% of women are in construction and in Canada it's 13 or something that we have a higher rate. And Alberta, I believe in BC are even higher. So I thought that was an interesting thing. If we can carry that, what are they doing out West that's um, getting our percentages up even higher? And how can we model that instead of creating it again, blazing our own trails in Ontario? Why wouldn't we just take what they're doing and start to apply some of that? So that's what really interests me. Here's another uh, thing is we, I, I guess this is the first year there were multiple people had applied to be on the board. So you had to do this little presentation to, um, to be elected. So of course, uh, well, obviously I was elected, which was an awesome uh, honor and I was thrilled, 
but their one position was created because somebody didn't finish their term. So there was one position of one year, the rest are three year terms. So they sent out a thing saying, you know, who would like the three year terms? And because if it's one year, you have to put your name back in and you'll have to be reelected again to get back in. So I was I, immediately, I said, I'll take the one year term. And uh, everyone's like, what? And I was like, I already get it. Nobody wants to go through the thing to be elected because it's hard, right? What if you don't get elected? It's rejection and, you know, you're not good enough. And, and uh, you know, I, I'm like, I'm, I, I'm okay. If, if there's somebody that's better than me to do the job, hey, more power to you. That's really what we're about. This is about women in construction. We need to support one another. So if you have the um, ability and the passion to do this for three years, then by all means, you know, let's, let's get this going. If I need to be elected for another term, by all means, I think that's great. Or if somebody else gets an opportunity, you know what, we all win. That's, that's the message at the end of the day. So that, that to me is way more important than, you know, saying, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to risk it or be rejected. I love this mindset of abundance that you are bringing to KWIC. And I think it's like, it's just beginning. Like I'm really excited about the work that you're doing, like the attitude and the energy that you're bringing. And I met some of the other board members and they do have really positive energy. They are, you are really doing cool things. And I can't wait to see the new logo. Oh, me too. Um, Actually, we we have a board meeting tonight. So I've seen, I got a sneak peek. So Oh, that's amazing. So we always wrap up our podcast with an action that people can take 24 hours after learning something new. So we talked a lot about transformational leadership. So if people want to start leaning into those skills, what's a baby step that they can do to get started? Um, I think if I could, if I, I know if there, there'd be two things I would do. And I think it's, it's act in, if, if we could start with the small things like how we talk to one another, and that is trying to use gender pronouns, referring to lifelong partners as partners. Um, I think that that shows your leadership in terms of leading with diversity and inclusion. And the other thing I would say is to stay, get connected. Networking is, is a key thing for leadership and you just need to model those actions. So those would be the two things I would say. I love that. So how do people connect with you, Lisa? LinkedIn's the way to go. Uh, so I'll post Lisa's LinkedIn in the show notes. And my second question is, how do people find out more about KWIC? Oh, definitely run to the website. I think it's an awesome website as we, uh, we've got newsletters that are out now. Um, there are member benefits. We, they have file our, our association. So it's nice that you can actually, if you're a member of KWIC, uh, between a corporate member, you can have an individual member. You actually also get memberships in NAWIC as well as, uh, as we sign these new affiliations. So if you're across Canada, um, you have we or if you're interested in opening up a chapter in your area please reach out to me um i think it's at chapters at kwick.ca um i'm also on the website so please go there okay and how do people learn about powell contracting oh again come to our website powell.ca love to see you there please send any feedback that you can um you can see our sustainability some of the jobs that we've done as well as our growth uh, that we've done in north america so be looking forward to seeing everybody Amazing. Thank you so much for doing this interview, Lisa. I learned a lot. Thank you, Andrea. You, you exude passion. I say every time I talk to you, I'm so excited. I'm so re-energized. I love talking to you. So do not ever change and you keep it up. It's been awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, before you go, I wanted to read a review of our podcast. This one is from Erie. Great podcast that dives into important issues for women working in construction and men who are open to supporting. Many of the topics discussed resonate strongly with me as a woman in the industry. 
Thanks to Andrea for starting these important conversations. Thank you so much for that generous review. I'm also wondering if you can do me a favor. Can you go into Apple Podcasts and give the podcast a five-star review and a comment? This helps us to get the word out so that we can keep making episodes for you for free every single week. Ambition Theory Women in Construction is hosted by me, Andrea Jansen, and produced by Michael Boyd from Podcast Atlantic. Our artwork is by Tara Andrews. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll talk to you next time. Thank you.